So um, in my devotions the other uh, day, I'm going, Marcy and I are going through uh, Nikki Gumbel's Bible in a year together with some of our family, and we do it on the uh, YouVersion Bible app so we can all interact together. It's really quite an uplifting time and encouraging time as we all share what God has spoken to us through his word that day. And so the other day, I was reading in my devotions from Nikki Gumbel, he starts this way, an online survey, now again, this is UK, an online survey listed all the qualities that people expect from perfect pastors. Are you ready? Here we go. They preach for exactly 12 minutes. You know, I just about closed my devotions right there because as soon as I read that, I knew that this is not going to go well. And, uh, you know, here we are back with no restrictions. And sorry, folks, buckle up, but this is not going to be 12 minutes today. So, okay, second quality. They're 28 years of age. Uh, another strike. But uh, they've been preaching for 30 years, all right? They work from 8 a.m. till midnight every day. And they're also the caretaker of the church. They frequently condemn sin, but they never upset anyone. They wear good clothes, buy good books, drive a good car, give generously to the poor, and have a low salary. They make 15 daily calls to parish families. They visit the household and the, the housebound and the hospitalized. They spend all their time evangelizing the unchurched and are always in the office when they are needed. And they're also very good looking. So, uh, well, I definitely would not make the cut. <clears throat> but what's missing? Um, what's missing? You know, um, you know what's missing? They have to love food. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So Nikki Gumbel goes on to say, uh, that day I wrote in the prayer, I wrote my prayer in the margin of, of my Bible in one year, and I said that I, like David, and this is my prayer, would shepherd the people with integrity of heart and would lead them with skillful hands. Now there's many skills, those skillful hands, there's many skills that a pastor needs, but one of them that this list is glaringly missing is prayer. How can prayer be missing from the essential work of a pastor or of any Christian for that matter? Um, when, I, when I got started in ministry back in Saskatchewan, 1994, a long time ago, there's an older lady in the church named Leona Peters. She passed away last year. Uh, her and her husband, Jake, amazing godly people, pillars of the church, such gracious people with great attitudes, and they served, served, served their entire lives, never retired. And she's pulled me aside one day and she said, Eldon, when you go into people's homes, whether they be from the church or from the community, people that don't go to church, they're not Christians, she said, you always pray for them. Always. Uh, it, it, she says, it's an expectation that God has of you, and it's an expect expectation that I have of you. And I just went, wow, thank you for your boldness. <laughs> yeah, thank you for challenging me. And I, I've taken to that to heart, and actually, I have, when I forget to pray, my wife, she will elbow me in the ribs, sometimes hard, and she'll say, Eldon, pray, pray, we gotta pray for these people right now. And so uh, uh, I, wanna, I, I wanna just let you know how encouraged I am by Pastor John over here, Cornelson. This man, whether, whether it be with me or with youth or with anybody that he talks to, he'll always say, we need to pray, let's pray. 
It's, it's, uh, it's foundational in your life, John, and I appreciate that so much. You've prayed for me many times, and you know, you don't just have words, you back up your words with actions as you love people and care for them. And so I wanna say thank you for praying for me many times uh, together, it's awesome. St. John Chrysostom, who was a saint in the early years of the church, from, he lived from 349 to 407, he said, prayer is the root the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. The potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, assuaged diseases, rescued cities from destruction, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. That's how the early church viewed prayer based on the, the prophets and the apostles and Jesus himself. And so our text, as we wrap up this little mini-series in the parables that we've done through the month of June, and this is our last Sunday, our text is Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. It's titled this, The Parable of the Persistent Widow. It's, it's fitting, I think, that I chose this, uh, not really knowing it would actually be the end of the series, but it is. And it's a good way to go into summer, because in summer we tend to relax, right? We let our guard down a bit. And we coast spiritually, just like it's been so easy to do for the last like 16 months. But if there's any time in, our, in the history of our world and in our own lives where we need to dig in deeper, particularly in the area of prayer for ourselves, for our communities, for our nation, for our government, it is now. We need to pray like never before. So the timing is great with Luke 18, so I'm gonna read it for you, all right? The first eight verses. And he told them a parable, that's Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. Other versions say, wear me out by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So I want to give us a little brief outline here today, and then we're going to dig into this text a little bit. And I want to talk this morning about who we pray to, what we pray for, and how to pray. Now, of course, the scriptures are full of these examples and exhortations, and, and I could talk for hours and hours and hours on each one, but we're going to limit it to Luke 18, okay? It's hard for me to do that, to limit it mostly to Luke 18. Um, I, I actually listened to a sermon on this like years ago. I could have been even in Bible school or in my early years of ministry, and it was entitled Becoming a Holy Bother. <laughs> Love that. And I encourage you this morning, as I encourage myself, that we need to become a holy bother to our Father. The first thing in, in uh, who we pray to is this. Who we pray to is far more important than what we pray for. 
Who we pray to is far more important than what we pray for. So to whom do we pray? You know, Jesus, in, uh, you know, when he taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, he said, when you pray, begin like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Don't ever forget who we're praying to. God is our Father. His name is holy. That's our starting point. I read, I, I read a quote the other day that said, sin comes from not trusting in God's character, God's word, and God's actions. And so on the flip side, I would say that effective prayer comes from trusting in God's character, his word, and his actions. So who we pray to is far more important than what we pray for. Prayer, you see, is about aligning ourselves with God's plans, with his purposes, with God's will, that it has to do with our own plans, wants, wills, or desire. Those are so secondary. God loves to give us the desires of our heart in accordance with his will, but we need to pray to God and align ourselves with him in prayer. So again, in Luke 18, a couple of things about the character of God, who we pray to. Number one, we pray to a just God. A just God. In a certain city, there was a judge. That's how the the parable begins. Now, of course, the judge, who is called all kinds of things that is contrary to God's character, is uh, Jesus' point is, this is not at all who God is. He's exactly the opposite, but he is a judge. And we're going to go through some of these things. The first thing is that God is a judge. And, and the widow prayed, give me justice against my adversary. And the judge said I, in verse 5, I will give her justice. Verse 7, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? God is a just God. In Deuteronomy 34, verses 3 through 4, it's up on the screen there. It says, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his way is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. That word iniquity means a God of faithfulness and who does no wrong. He does no wrong. Just and upright is he. Later on in our text, in verse 6, it says, so the unrighteous judge, right? Calls him the unrighteous judge. Again, Jesus' point is, I'm the opposite of an unrighteous judge. I'm a, I'm a right judge. I'm a righteous judge. I do what's right. I do no wrong. There is no iniquity in God. He is faithful. All of his works are perfect. Revelation 19, verses 1 through 2 says this, After this I heard what seemed to be a loud, the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. They're right. So, you know, knowing this, really ought to motivate us when we pray, right? Because... If we get it wrong, if we get it wrong, you know, in, in what we pray for and in how we pray and in all that kind of thing, like I've heard people say, like, I don't pray because I just, I don't know how to do it right. Just pray. Even if we get it wrong, he won't. That's what it means that he's a just God. He always does what is right. And so if we get it wrong, God will go, hmm. No, not, not now, not yet. Maybe it's the timing, maybe it's the request. Whatever it is, just pour out your heart to God. He'll sort it out. 
He'll sort it out. God can't get it wrong. Think about that. What, what does this say about so-called unanswered prayer? We get, we get disappointed or discouraged when God doesn't answer. Do, do you realize that God is actually doing the right thing in those moments? <laughs> because if we always got what we think we wanted or even needed, our lives may end up looking entirely different than they do. So good. I gotta move on. Number two. God is loving and kind. Carry on. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Jesus is saying again, I am just the opposite. God is just the opposite. This thing, um, nor respected man, the word respect is to have regard for. And the point that Jesus is making is that. God is not that way. In fact, God is very much the opposite. God has regard for us. He is loving. He is kind. He's interested. Psalm 138 verse 6 says this, For though the Lord is high, he regards, he has respect for the lowly. Doesn't that encourage you? Although God is high and lifted up and exalted, he has regard for the lowly for the humble, for the person who is in a difficult spot. The King James Version, I love it. It says, though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. The message puts it this way. When they hear what you have to say, God, all earth's kings will say, thank you. They'll sing of what you've done, how great the glory of God. And here's why. God, high above, sees far below, no matter the distance. He knows everything about us. John Piper, in a devotional called God Regards the Lowly, says this, You may be going through things right now that are painfully preparing you for some precious service to Jesus and to his people. When a person strikes rock bottom with a sense of nothingness or helplessness, he may find that he has struck the rock of ages. I remember a delicious sentence from Psalm 138, verse 6, that our family read at our breakfast devotion, says Piper. Though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. And he says this, You cannot sink so low in despairing of your own resources that God does not see and care. In fact, he is at the bottom waiting to catch you. As Moses says, the eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. Deuteronomy 33. Friends, this is the God we pray to. This is the God we pray to. He sees us. He cares for us. When we hit rock bottom, we will strike the rock of ages. I love the old hymn, It Is Well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. We sang about it this morning. We sang about our God. You bring hope. You bring light to the darkness. This is the God that we pray to. Third, God is a just God. He's a loving and kind God and a righteous God. And he is a generous God. 
verses 4 through 8 of our text, it says uh, this. For a while he refused, this judge. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual, co continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous ju judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice. He will give justice to them speedily. God is a generous God with us. If that is what an unrighteous judge does, Jesus is saying, my point is, how much more the just and the right God, how much more will he give justice and come speedily to those who call on him day and night? He's generous. 1 Timothy verse 6, chapter 6, verse 17, encourages us not to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to hope in God who... Paul said, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You see, God is gracious to give us not only what we need for sustenance, but to provide us with the things to enjoy life too. That's how generous God is. The most generous act of God was to give us his son to be our savior. Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The generosity of God. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This is the God we pray to. Second thing I want to talk about today is what we pray for, which is secondary, remember. What we pray for is informed by who we pray to. So what should we pray for? Keeping in mind that God is just, righteous, loving, kind, and generous. So there's a little boy who used to say his nightly prayers. And he began one night with a question for God. He said, Dear God, in your infinite wisdom, what is a million years? A voice from above replied, In my infinite wisdom, a million years is like one minute. The boy persisted. Lord, in your infinite goodness, what is a million dollars? The voice replied, in my infinite goodness, a million dollars is like one penny. If that is true, the boy continued, in your infinite generosity, could you grant me one of your pennies? The voice from above answered, just a minute. <laughs> now, there's obviously many things we ought to pray for, many. But I will limit us, so hard for me, I will limit us to just one thing that is found in Luke 18, because that's where we are. One thing. And the timing of this is really good. And if you haven't figured it out by now, you haven't been paying attention. What do we pray for? Say it with me. Justice. Justice. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. That word justice means to vindicate, to punish, to take revenge or to avenge. And all of those things 
are God's job, not ours. And yet we do it so often, don't we? How many of you have experienced an injustice in your life? <laughs> oh, come on. There's only like 10 people telling the truth here this morning. You've never had anyone do anything wrong to you? Come on. Romans 12 verse 19 says, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. God cares so much about injustice. I mean, just read, read this. God cares so much about injustice, things that are wrong. Wrong personally in our lives, but wrong in the world. He cared so much, and in his love, he sent Jesus to make the biggest wrong right, the injustice of our sinful nature. Jesus bore the wrath of God so that the justice of God might be fulfilled. Where we should have bore that wrath because we're the sinners, God bore it for us. And he met the just requirements of a holy and just God in that action. He cares about injustice, the big things and the little things, and he will act. He cares about the wrongs in your life. He came to make them right. Over the years, I've listened to many people share personal stories with me of injustice. To the point that where people <laughs> were wronged so horribly that they literally wanted to take matters in their own hands and do away with another person, if you know what I mean. some very tragic and extremely difficult things to listen to and to process with people. And true reconciliation of those injustices happen as we pray and then we act according the person, I mean, there's been so many, but that one person in particular literally prayed all night and came to a point of turning it over to a just God who speedily gave justice. It's another story for another time, but it was dramatic but true reconciliation of injustices happen as we pray first and then we act according to God's ways. If we were the victim, we need to forgive. If we're the perpetrator, we need to make amends and repent in prayer. Because we all face injustices, things that we want to take into our own hands. And, and my challenge to you this morning, my question to you is, why not, instead of take them into your hands, into our hands, we put them into God's hands? Because God will act, and he will bring about justice. He will do the right thing as we trust him and as we turn those things over to him. Now, this morning, I, we cannot... I cannot talk about injustice without acknowledging our indigenous communities across this nation. And I know that there is so much opinion, but for me, here's the bottom line. No matter how you view it, no matter how you slice it, so to speak, there has been injustice. We cannot deny that. 
And while I don't even understand a fraction of the issues, and I'm not going to pretend to, I don't know what to do about them. But there's a couple of things that I think are a good starting point and that I want us to consider this morning. Justice and reconciliation is our business because God has called us to it as, as his people. We have been given, in Corinthians, Paul said, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation because we have been reconciled to God through Christ. Jesus, who did no wrong, who did no wrong, and didn't have to do what he did, he bore our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. That's the gospel. And if we act according to the gospel, we are going to get involved even though we have not sinned. We still act as an agent of reconciliation in this world so that things can be made right. How, what that looks like, I don't know. But we cannot say because we did not perpetrate any offense that we cannot get involved. Christ who knew no sin bore our sin on the cross so that we, wretched sinners as we are, could be healed, made whole, and set free. And without that interve intervention, we'd be lost in our sin and without hope in this world. But he, being without sin, went to that place that he did not have to go. And so do we. We have to go to places that we don't want to go or think that we should go. How? That's a matter of prayer. That's my second encouragement to you. Justice and reconciliation only come about by prayer. Our, our passage makes it pretty clear. So my challenge to you, as it is to my, me this week, is to pray. Let's start with prayer. What is God going to say to you, to me, to us as a church, in the area of reconciliation and justice? In fact, why don't we take a moment right now, let's just bow our heads and let's take, in the quietness of our hearts, let's pray. Let's seek the will of God. In my devotions the other day, I read Psalm 79. It's quoted in the message, the paraphrase, by Eugene Peterson. It, Psalm 79 is a cry for justice. And the psalmist prays this, how long do we have to put up with this, God? We're at the end of our rope. You're famous for helping. God, give us a break. Your reputation is on the line. Pull us out of this mess. Forgive our sins. Do what you're famous for doing. <laughs> it's a good place to start. God, do what you're famous for doing. Getting us out of a mess. Amen. Amen. Let's move on. Number three, how we pray. How we pray reveals what we believe about who we pray to. It's a mouthful. <laughs> how then should we pray? Number one, persistently. That's pretty obviously obvious too, hey? And he told them a parable. This is how it begins. And he told them a parable to the effect that 
they ought always to pray. To the effect that means to show them that. It literally means to show them how necessary it is that it is our duty, our responsibility, our moral obligation to persist in prayer. Now, persistence means continuing firmly or obstinately in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. To be, I love this. To continue firmly or obstinately. Obstinate means stubbornly refusing to change one's opinion or chosen course of action despite attempts to persuade one to do so. Now, I know some obstinate people. <laughs> They're very stubborn. Another word, kids, don't repeat this. No, I shouldn't say it. <laughs> stubborn. You know, it generally isn't great for relationships. <laughs> so this week, Pastor John over here. I, I built him up earlier, so now I'm going to throw him under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> he made lunch for us as a staff. It was awesome. It was like these beef dips from the, the roast that he had with the, the grads the night before, this beautiful medium, medium rare roast, right? And beef dip, all of that kind of stuff. So he's, he's making lunch for us and stuff. And I don't know how we got in the conversation about marital disputes. And John's like, oh man, Heather and I, can, we can really go ahead, right? My wife showed up. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Heather showed up for lunch, okay? So there's the two of them. So he didn't throw her under the bus. This was a mutual conversation, all right? So I said, so... When's the last time you fought and when was, what was it about? And so John went there and it had to do with air conditioning, right? It was hot, okay? People get ornery and cranky when it's hot, okay? So they had this fight. If you wanna, then it's okay to fight. You just have to do it in the right way. So I said to John, yeah, I'll bet you Heather won that fight. <laughs> and uh, he goes, nope, we are both stubborn. <laughs> We're both stubborn. If only we could be so stubborn, obstinate, right, John, in, in prayer. That's what Jesus is asking us to do, to literally be stubborn. I'm not giving in. I'm not giving in. It's what God is calling us to when it comes to prayer. It's amazing. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him. And yet because this widow keeps bothering me, the unrighteous judge said, I will grant her request so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. Oh, how we need to beat down the door of heaven. How we need to become a holy bother to God. Who, in opposition to the unrighteous judge, longs to give us what we pray for according to his will when it involves injustice. I don't like to be bothered very much, do you? I mean, I'm not a person that likes to be bothered, but God loves to be bothered. You see, prayer is about relationship, and God has all the time in the world for relationship. Just look at how Jesus lived his life. He persisted in prayer. At every point, his, his disciples found him alone on a hillside praying, engaging people, praying, praying, praying. This was the model that Jesus left for us. If we persist in prayer, it is because we have a persistent God. The scriptures tell us that Jesus, in prayer, resolutely set his face to Jerusalem and he headed for the cross. Jesus was stubborn in doing the will of the Father. 
And in prayer, he came to that place where he said, not my will be done, but yours. I am going there. I'm going there. And it's what he calls us to do. He showed them persistence means a prolonged period of prayer, ongoing. I talked to somebody just a few weeks ago. Yeah, I know who it was now, Luke. <laughs> he said, Elvin, he came to faith later in life. I had the privilege of, of officiating his daughter's wedding just a few weeks ago. He said, Elvin, he talked about his spiritual journey and how Mercy and I were part of that for him and his wife, Shelly. And, and he said, I came to faith later in, in life. And you know why? He said, because I had a mother who prayed for me for 34 years. 34 years. Every day. Day and night. And he is so committed to the Lord. Today. Ongoing. Ongoing. That's what persistence means. They ought always to pray, to cry out day and night. What do you do when you can't sleep at night? Do you count sheep or do you go have that proverbial cup of hot cocoa and watch TV or fret or worry or do you pray? I find that when I pray, I go to sleep quicker. That's <laughs> what the disciples did, right? They, Jesus said, pray with me and then all of a sudden they're snoring, right? So, I don't know. Not, not, maybe not the best strategy, but at least we're praying, right? People say, when is the best time to pray? And my answer is yes. So the psalmist said, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. He also said, by day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, my prayer to the God of my life. Isaiah 26, my soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. Jesus the scripture says, got up very early in the morning while it was still dark and he went to a solitary place and he prayed. But he also prayed at night in the garden just before his crucifixion. Daniel prayed three times a day. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I keep asking, I keep asking, I keep asking for all of you. Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer. First Thessalonians 5.17, I think that one's on the screen. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Second Thessalonians, we pray constantly for you. Philippians, in everything by prayer and position. Uh, petition. Ephesians 6, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Always keep praying. I think you get the point. Always, day, noon, night. Nikki Gumbel said, you can talk to God, not just at church or in set times of prayer, but anywhere at any time. I was taught very early in my Christian life that you should talk as you walk throughout the day. I am so encouraged, and you should be too, by the persistence of our Sunday morning prayer team. <laughs> it was great to see our room in the corner there full this morning of people praying for you, praying for our church, praying for others. And you know what? This group, it's usually nine people, did not miss a Sunday in the last year and a half. Not one. We got people in their 70s, I don't know, I don't want to say how old. Older folks, 80s, I don't know. Who and youngsters figuring out how to use messenger video and other mediums, platforms to pray. 
I tell you, it was a gong show sometimes, but <laughs> nonetheless, we prayed. Feedback, silence, whatever, video cutting it, doesn't matter. We prayed. The entire time. You need to know that. Again, Nikki Gumbel said, never give up praying and pray the hardest when it is hardest to pray. Never give up praying and pray the hardest when it is the hardest to pray. So that means, secondly, we should pray courageously. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. To lose heart means to become discouraged. But when we pray, we gain heart. It's the opposite of being discouraged. It means to encourage. When we pray, we are encouraged and we encourage someone else. I hope this sermon gives you courage. Finally, we need to pray faithfully. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Faithfully, this word actually can have two meanings. It can mean constant. Again, back to persistence. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant or faithful in prayer. That's what Romans 12, 12 says. But it also means to be full of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God will reward you as you persist in prayer. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. It has the power to change circumstances, other people, even the course of history. Other people have said, prayer is the neglected privilege, which echoes the words of the great hymn, oh, what peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I've heard it say, every great spiritual awakening in history has originated in prayer. And to be more specific, D.L. Moody said, every spiritual awakening in history can be traced to just one person praying. Because the fervent prayer of a righteous person, just one, is powerful and effective. Will you be that one person today? Let's pray. Well, God, that was a little longer than 12 minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> but your word, I just get so excited about it. It tells us that because we have this great high priest, Jesus, who has gone through the heavens, we can hold fast to you. You, you sympathize with our weaknesses, and in them you tell us to approach your throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And that is my prayer, God, for all of us, that we would learn to persist, that we would approach your throne confidently because we know that you are there to help us. You are there to set things right. In your kindness, in your, your generosity, and in your justice, and in your great love for us, you always do what is right, and we thank you for that. Fill us, Lord, with the power of your Holy Spirit that we can persist in prayer because it's so hard. But help us, Lord, when it's hardest to pray, to pray the hardest. Help us with that. We thank you that we can be here together today. Encourage us as we go from here in Jesus' name.